Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? It's good to be with uh, my church family here today. Uh, my name is Young, and I am one of the pastors here at Riverview. Um, <clears throat> if you didn't know, uh, recently my role has changed uh, from helping, uh, you know, I was focused a lot on our college presence at MSU, uh, and it has changed over the last several months on helping our church move in the direction of becoming more multi and next generational. So figuring out how do we just exist as a church family that is, uh, has different generations represented within it, and then how do we also focus on passing the torch to the next generation, um, particularly Gen Z uh, and Gen Alpha, yes, that is a thing. Um, and, you know, this morning I want to be intentional about calling us a church family. As our teams were uh, preparing for the series that we are in right now, talking about how we all stumble on our way to become more like Christ, how we stumble uh, in this journey called life towards Jesus, I chose the topic of being a multi-generational church family, uh, but then it got me thinking about what about being multi-generational? What about being next generational? Uh, What does that have to do with stumbling towards Jesus? And, of course, there is a handful of things that actually pertain to becoming, uh, to stumbling towards Jesus. But I spent some, some time praying and thinking about this. And while some families, uh, something that came to mind was that while some families are whole and healthy and fun to be a part, right, as we talk about this multi-generational family, I came to realize the obvious that some families are also messy, In fact, some families are really, really messy. And some families are so messy to the point where it is actually destructive, where some families are so painful to be a part of. And for some of us, we could even use the word that sometimes being a part of our family or the family that you are a part of has led to trauma. And unfortunately, the reality is that the church family as well, whether here at Riverview or any other church you've been a part of in your life, unfortunately, the reality is that the church family is also where some of us, including myself, have found much pain. And if that is you this morning, if it's worth anything coming from me, I want to tell you that you are not alone that there are others within our church and our congregation who are able to empathize and sympathize with your pain within the church. And I want to personally thank you for being here today. Today, we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about the church as a family of God's people. We're going to talk about the church in all of her prescribed glory as written in the scriptures. But we're also going to talk about the, the brokenness that exists within the church because the church at the end of the day is a gathering of God's people who are broken and traumatized by sin within them and sin that has been done to them. And at the same time, we will talk about us being a people who hunger and desire wholeness as they are transformed by the life-changing message of the gospel powered by the Holy Spirit in their spiritual journey towards Christ Jesus. Before I pray for us and, and ask the Lord's help, if you are here today 
Um, please know that we will talk a bit about trauma. We'll talk about family trauma specifically. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, you have all the freedom to step out into the lobby, listen there, um, to step out and get a, you know, outside, outside and catch some, uh, some fresh air. No judgment. If that's you, please know that there is also wholeness and healing to be found in the love of Christ that is given to us ever so freely because he loves and cares for his people. Um, so what I want to do for us to start our time is to pray for us, pray ask, and, and ask the Lord for help to give us hearts that can hear his word. Um, so would you join me in praying? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children. You are our Father in heaven. And for some of us, that is so hard to understand. Some of us... Here today, Lord, it is hard to be in a church because uh, of our family backgrounds. It's hard to be in a church because we've been hurt by the church. I pray, Father, that wherever we may be in our journey, maybe we've never experienced any of these things, Lord, and, 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 and we thank you for those folks here who have never had to experience that. We thank you for your protection and your mercy upon their life, but also, Lord, for those who have experienced the complete opposite destruction, pain, trauma, whatever you want to call it. We ask, Father, for healing, not through my words, but through your scriptures, through your gospel, and through your spirit. Pray, Father, for my church family here as we strive and as we toil towards Christ-likeness. I pray that your grace would be sufficient for us in the moments of utter weakness. Lord, we are needy, and this morning we are in need of your help. So help us, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So growing up in uh, America was very uh, interesting for me. Uh, it was actually probably a lot different than the majority of us uh, here, uh, you guys in this room, because I grew up uh, as an Asian American kid in America, and that is just different. Um, I specifically, I grew up uh, with immigrant parents. I was born in South Korea, moved here when I was one, grew up, you know, spent the last 30 years of my life here in America. My parents, they lived most of their life in South Korea, moved here when, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. And there, there are things that come with having immigrant parents, right? And one of them, for example, uh, maybe you can relate with this for those who might have immigrant parents, is that they speak broken English, that's just what it is. My, to this day, they've been living in, in the States now for over 20, 25 years, and they have broken English. English is a second language. So what that meant was when my sister and I, younger sister and I, when we were in elementary school, when we were in middle school, we would have to begin, you know, help them understand things like, you know, they tried their best with taxes, like the IRS, like, what is that, right? Um, and so, like, I, we, my sister and I would have to translate documents for that. I started to learn how to do taxes. Still don't understand how to do them um, at a young age, right? Um, and, you know, things like that. I had to teach them how the school system worked a little bit because it's so different here than in South Korea. Things like that, right? My parents worked overtime. They owned a few small businesses. Uh, most of the time, my parents, both of them, if they left for work, they would leave at like 8, 7, 8 in the morning. My sister and I would go to school. Um, and I remember promptly dinner would start at 9.30. If my mom came home early to make dinner, it would be 9.30 because that's when my dad would come home, right? So they worked a lot. Because of that, uh, the 
the people that raised me and my sister were actually my grandparents. A lot of them, uh, a, lot, a lot of our time was spent with them. Uh, my grandpa specifically uh, raised me a lot. And so what that just did with my childhood, who I am now, is just raised a lot of independence for myself. I uh, didn't really understand what it looked like to have my, my parents really there throughout the, at least the majority of the day. Um, because they work so much, that I mean, that stresses anybody out. Uh, my parents, uh, especially my dad, during uh, the, the recession in 2008, the, the year leading into that, in 2008, and then the years following, he got really, really stressed because, you know, just it's the recession, right? He had to close his businesses, and, um, and that was just a hard time. He carried a lot of that stress back into the home. He carried a lot of that, and who, my dad, who was you know, already such an angry man, uh, got, became even more angry and more frustrated and brought that into the home. And, and, and the man that I was confronted with uh, was a very emotional and verbally abused father in my childhood and in my adolescence. Thankfully, it never really got to physical violence, um, but, but he was uh, definitely uh, emotionally and verbally abusive there. Because my father was very hard to be around in the home, um, you know, I got to see a side of him that many people didn't, specifically people in the church did not get to see that. They saw him as, you know, he had a good reputation within the church, but he's a very different man in the home. And you see this dichotomy that is being painted here. Um, thankfully, I, I should say that by God's grace, um, my dad and I are, are, are so good now. Surely, truly by God's grace. The gospel working in his heart, the spirit working in his life, we're really good now. But that's still all that affected uh, me to who I am today. A lot of this for me raised up a lot of shame. A lot of my upbringing raised a lot of shame. And inappropriate ways of responding to my shame. I'll name three for us. Uh, One for my life, uh, addiction to pornography started in middle school. The young age of middle school, pre, you know, before the internet was like mainstream as it is now, or kind of, found access to that and was addicted, hooked on it. Second thing that bubbled up in my life was anger issues in high school, uh, through temper tantrums everywhere, carried into college, and unfortunately that carried into my marriage as well, and other areas of my life. The third way that this, uh, I responded to my shame as I grew up in this household was that I got really good at lying um, just to cover up the the feeling of shame that I had. Um, And I think that's three ways that we cover up shame. Lying, anger, getting defensive, addiction. In my case, it was to pornography. And I share that with you guys today, this morning, because I want to share what we call within the the area of spiritual formation and discipleship, uh, what we would call family of origin story. It's the experiences as a child, as an adolescent, as a youth that form us to who we are today. In the spiritual formation and discipleship world, what we would say is that, uh, is, that, is that everything in this world forms you. It will either form you more into the likeness of Christ or the things of this world or the things of the church will deform you away from Christ. Specifically, and particularly our childhood, our adolescence will form us much more than we ever give it credit for until we can confront it. And all of us have a family of origin story, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, whether it's good or bad, whether it is safe or abusive. We all have a family of origin story. And the thing about this is that when I see the church as a whole, Big C Church, or when I see the local church, for example, here at Riverview, 
I see a group of people with different family of origins who happen to just come together. And that is where things begin to get messy. And that is also where the glory of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ can shine so brightly. Because as the Apostle, Paul, or Apostle John excuse me, writes about Jesus in the opening chapter of his book, John chapter 1, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, that light, talking about Jesus, that light shines in the darkness, and that yet the darkness did not overcome it. And so as we talk about our family of origins this morning, today, I want to say this is that in the dark areas of our family of origin stories, the promise of the gospel is that the light of Christ can shine in those spaces, and we need not fear that the darkness of even our deepest wounds can blot out the light of Christ. And what that means for us today, if you're here and you find yourself, yes, I have a very dark family of origin story. I have trauma within, particularly, specifically my family. What that means for us today is that there is hope for us today and for the rest of our lives because of Jesus to find wholeness and healing from places we have received wounds from. Please hear me when I say this. From places we have received wounds from when in fact they were supposed to be safe places for us, and those are two areas, our families and the church. Because of Christ, there is hope for wholeness and healing for you and for me. I want to lay a roadmap uh, for our time today with acknowledging that talking about the church is not as linear as I'm going to make it seem today, this morning. And so here is our roadmap. Three points. Why do we call the church our family? Our family of origin stories, the healthy, the unhealthy, and the gospel. And our last stop is that the church is called to be a redemptive family as we stumble together toward Jesus. Stop number one, why do we call the church our family? So much of the context in the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, is that of an agrarian lifestyle. So a lot of farming, a lot of agriculture. um, And that implies a lot of familial context, a lot of family talk, right? For example, like my, my, uh, I have five aunts and five uncles in Korea, all on my mom's side. I'm the oldest of 18 cousins. And my grandma on my mom's side had that many kids because she lived in the farm. She lived out in the country in Korea, and she just, they needed the extra hands, right, to, to make it alive or whatever, right? We see language as what we're going to read here in John chapter 1, if you see here, verses 12 to 13, he says this, but to all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. We see passages like the one in John here describing followers of Jesus, those who would receive the gospel as children of God, therefore making God our Father. And logically, that means Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our brother, our sibling. The whole Bible is full of these sorts of familial references. We see in Genesis, the creation of Adam and Eve. And once they gave birth to Cain and Abel, they became a family unit. And you see sin entering that, that family and destroying it, right? Between Cain and Abel. 
In Exodus, with the Ten Commandments, we see God's mandate to the Israelites of the following pertaining to the family. In my opinion, these two. First is what? Honor your mother and father. Deals with the family. God has a design for how families should function. And the second, do not commit adultery, though that is a very good commandment to follow, whether pertaining to family or not. We know adultery can decimate a family from the inside out, particularly by dividing the parents. The gathering of God's people from the Old Testament to the New Testament carries the reality that they are to be, that we are to be known as the family of God. Which means that for those of us who are here today in this room that, or, or, or watching online or whatever, that for those of us who are followers of Christ, we are invited into a family that goes beyond our physical family, but we are invited into a spiritual family. It's a very simple conclusion. But the outworking of that is very difficult. The church is the family of God, and yet, as we discussed, we all have family of origin stories. Whether you're in your 70s or your 80s or if you're in middle school and you're sitting here, we all have some family of story, uh, of origin story that has already been developed and that has shaped who we are. Or if you're younger, it is still being formed right now. So parents, please be watchful of how you raise your children. And whenever we walk in through those church doors and we as Christians, we say things like what? Come as you are. Seriously, come as you are. Jesus says to come as you are. What does that really mean? What that means is that we bring ourselves along with the stories, the experiences that formed who we are as people. That's what we're saying to people. Come as you are. Come with your baggage. Come with your emotions. Come with the the scars that you bring from places that you should have been safe, but now you are deeply wounded because Christ accepts you unconditionally. Which leads us to our next stop in our roadmap, our family of origin stories, the healthy, the unhealthy, and the gospel. Let me give a disclaimer here. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here. We're just going to just just touch the, the tip of the iceberg, all right? But one disclaimer here is that I am not a counselor. I'm not a certified therapist. I'm a pastor. Not all pastors are counselors and therapists. Let me just make that very clear. And not all counselors and therapists are pastors. We both have our respective fields that are needed within the body of Christ. And so I want to hear today, this, this morning, what I want to do is pastorally, to the best of my ability, shepherd us, especially for those of us who have never had time to process our family of origin story, I want to help us to to shepherd us, our church family, through the stories that we may carry. I want to draw your attention to the the parable of the lost son, otherwise known as the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole passage because it's a sake of time. But I'm going to give you a summary to the best of my ability. The story that Jesus shares It goes like this. There's a father, wealthy father, and he gives, he has two sons. He gives the the youngest son his part of the inheritance because he asked for it. He he gets the inheritance, and this is for those who don't know the story that well. Uh, He gets his inheritance, and he goes into a faraway land. And what does he do? Does he invest it? Stocks? No. Crypto? No. He squanders it. He squanders. He uses all of his money, blows it. 
He finds himself on the streets, eating out of pig pens. What was once a wealthy son is now lost in this world. And he has an epiphany, a revelation. Says, my, my, my father's servants even eat better than me. They, they, they're treated, but they have a, a place to rest. And so what, he, what does he decide to do? He, he decides to go back to his father. Surely he would receive me again. So he goes back, and as, as he journeys back to his father's house, his father sees him on the road, and what does the father do? He said, that's my son. He's coming back. Go get my, he tells his son, go get my best robe. Go get my ring. Slaughter a fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my son has returned to me. And in the background, we see an older son who is jealous, who says, you have not even treated my friends and myself to anything like this. And in that conversation, what we'll read in a little bit, his father explains what, why he celebrates like this. The purpose of the parable of the lost son is Jesus' way of explaining and sharing that the ways of the world cannot and will not satisfy the deepest longings. That is the main reason why Jesus shares this story. That the world cannot satisfy your deepest longings and your deepest hungers of the soul. That only when you return to the Father will you find healing and wholeness and the fullness of life. The end of the parable goes like this, verse 31 through 32. As the oldest son is jealous, the, the father says to him, son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to, had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That was the father's response to his son. The, over the last month or so, uh, this picture uh, is, has been my wallpaper. It is a Rembrandt oil painting of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. And before I even knew that um, I was going to preach on this and use this as my, you know, kind of like an anchor text, um, this has been my wallpaper uh, on my phone because it just reminds me of the goodness of God our Father. That no matter how many times I may mess up, no matter how many times I may wander and be prone, as I'm prone to do, I can always be assured that God will always receive me as his son. That is the main purpose of the parable. Now let me share with you why I wanted to share the story of the parable of the lost son. For many of us, the story of the lost son, it resonates with us. If you grew up in the church, you've heard the story before, right? It's famous. Even non-Christians, people outside the church have heard the story. It resonates with us. We understand what it means and what it feels like to return to a father's embrace when you have been lost. And I want to make very known that for some of us in the room, actually, this story is almost impossible to understand. Why? Because some of us in this room, for example, have family of origin stories that do not include a father figure, that do not include a maternal figure who embraced us when we sought to be comforted. In fact, maybe for some of us, we were met with shame when we brought our pain to our father or mother. Rather, we were met with guilt or even worse, neglect. 
when I was in high school, I, um, I played a lot of soccer. was not that good at it. Um, but I played a lot of soccer. And I remember one time during the summer, um, my friends and I were playing soccer. And um, I was on the sideline just kind of like, you know, dribbling the ball, just, you know, getting, you know, practicing a little bit. And from the corner of my eye, I see one of my friends who decides to slide tackle me. And I'm playing, I'm playing soccer like this barefoot, right? It's, it's, it's a nice day, summer day, whatever. And he comes in from the side and he slide tackles me. I tries to, and I jump up to dodge him, right? And so I thought I dodged him, um, but I didn't. At least I thought I didn't. You know, and he like cackles and walks off. I'm like, okay, you're being stupid. And I remember I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just keep practicing. And so I take a step. And I thought I stepped on something sharp. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I look at the bottom of my foot expecting to see something lodged in. No, my entire foot's red. And I'm going to spare you the graphic details, um, but essentially it was red because there was just blood all over my foot. And what had happened, in my opinion, I think, is that my friend who was also barefoot, when he slide tackled me, yes, his toenail sliced open my foot. I know. Yes. I'm going to be, actually, you know what? He sliced open the webbing of my big toe, okay? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I know, ew. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. And so <laughs> my friends, they're, they're great friends. And so they, they, they give me a bunch of paper towels and then take me to the ER. And I call my mom. And I remember telling her, like, Mom, I'm in the ER. I, gotta, I have to get stitches on my foot, on my toe, and it's bleeding and all that stuff. So she rushes to the hospital and get it bandaged, bandaged up and all that stuff. And we go home, and later that night, I, I go home, and then, you know, we eat dinner. And my dad comes home, and he sees this giant, like, paper towel bandage on my big toe and he says what happened and I explained to him what happened and I see progressively over time as I'm sharing and as he is just staring at it he's getting angry very angry how much did that cost what, 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 how did, are you so stupid that this happened he's getting angry and angry and angry and you know the story plays out it's just an awkward dinner time. Everyone's tense. At that moment, <clears throat> I was not expecting to get yelled at for getting hurt. I was not expecting to be met with a person who would get mad that their child was hurt. But rather, I expected to be met just as the lost son was met by his father. One with a warm embrace in the midst of pain. And to this day, as I, I stand before you guys as a, as a 31-year-old man, and the way that this has affected me even into my adulthood to this day is that when I mess up, I will not and cannot share that I mess up because I'm afraid I'm going to be back with anger rather than compassion and care. And so for me, when reading through the story of the lost son, of the prodigal son, you, you see it takes time to try and understand this father figure who embraces his child rather than rejects his child when he comes to him. And the thing that we must realize is that within any local church, and for us, I'm talking about our church family here at Riverview, we have people from all different backgrounds coming together. And not just to come together to worship like this. We have people who serve together, people who lead worship together, people who pastor together, people who serve coffee together, who are part of RIV communities together. 
We do so many things together, or at least have the opportunity to do life together. People who have come, back from, come from backgrounds with whole and fun families, and people who come from broken and traumatized families. It is the perfect storm, my friends, for disaster, destruction, and more. Or, because of the gospel, it is the opportunity for redemptive embrace that can bring a sense of belonging, of true healing and wholeness, all depending on how you and I react and act towards one another. We cannot assume that the norm within the church is that we all understand Christian parables and stories and the scriptures in this happy-go-lucky way. There is real baggage for some of us in this room. That is what makes the church so different than the rest of the world. It's because we have hope that we can share with one another the hope of Christ Jesus. There are things that a physical family can look like, right? An earthly family. There are things that it can look like and where you can say that is objectively a healthy and good family. And praise God that he writes out in his word that we can say the same thing about the local church. This is just one of many passages that describe what a healthy and redemptive church family looks like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 through 16. The Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Please hear this part. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The context for the, why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus was because he wanted to encourage them. Keep doing what you're doing. Go move into unity. Don't let anything else disrupt the, the unity that you have surrounded around Christ. And so I love what Paul writes here. He says that when each part of the body of Christ is working properly, the body, it grows and is built up in love And so we must do our due diligence as readers of the word of scripture. We must ask the question, what does it look like for each part to work properly? That's not subjective. That is an objective. There is right and wrong. There is proper and improper. There is healthy and unhealthy. If you actually read the rest of chapter 4 of Ephesians, you can get a good idea of this. But let me read the last few verses. It's not on the screen, so please just try your best to retain this list of things of what it looks like for the body of Christ, the family of God, to work properly. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. These verses here are about action and attitude toward one another. We talked about family of origin. We talked about what it looks like to be a healthy church. Just in brief right now. You know these things intellectually because I just shared it. But head knowledge does not lead to transformation. 
doesn't. What you just experienced right now is information transformation, uh, transfer from me to you. Where we experience transformation as followers of Christ is through the Holy Spirit working through the people of God. And in our case, the most direct people we have are the ones sitting right next to you in this room. You can sit as an ascetic, as a monk, go in the deserts and just read the word, which is great actually. They, they write great literature. But if you want to experience transformed life, you experience that by living out the word of God empowered by the spirit with one another. Over the last couple of years, my wife and I, uh, we've only been married for four years. It's been, uh, it's been great, but also very difficult, primarily because of me. Um, as I shared, um, uh, I, I, I still wrestle with anger issues, and you know, I still struggle from time to time, and that flares up a lot, and um, that had flared up a lot, and you know, it's, it's just, I'm just being honest. That, that's, that's where I'm at. And um, thankfully, I've, I, I think I've grown a lot. And I say that not out of my own... Uh, you know, my own assessment, but it's from the assessment of people, uh, including my wife, uh, at least I hope she would say that. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the handful of men and women who have actually walked alongside me over the last three to four years with my anger and my temper. And the journey has actually uncovered a lot of areas of shame in my life um, that I did not know was there the dark areas of my life where these brothers and sisters just shine the light of Christ. And as the Apostle John wrote, uh, the darkness has not overcome it. It will never overcome it. And the light of Christ shined in those areas in my life of real shame, which then helped me to not just address my anger, but the shame that caused that anger. And this is just just part of the journey. But that, I, that didn't happen because I just sat there and read something. It happened because people were willing to walk alongside me in my garbage. Because information transfer does not lead to a transformed life. It is only when we act upon the information we have to put our walls down, to say, to lose our ego and to say, I need help. There are people in our church family who grew up with a whole and full and a fun home. Praise God for that, seriously. I grew up in a home like that, kind of, as well. So I know what that's like. But there are also people within our church family who grew up in homes without a father or a mother, who grew up with divorced parents, who grew up with abusive parents, manipulative siblings, family members who don't know how to say sorry. There's a whole laundry list of familiar situations that people come from that makes up the church family. So the reality is that we are all recovering kids looking for healing that is found in Christ Jesus. All of us have a little kid in our hearts behind some, ca- some bars in a cage. And praise God that the gospel can unlock every single bar 
And what you and I can do for one another is to constantly point people to the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ that is so freely given to us. As we are kind and compassionate to one another within the church, forgiving one another, asking for forgiveness, being imitators of God, walking in love, sacrificing ourselves for one another, not abusing our power, not crossing boundaries, respecting our relationships with one another, all of that can lead our church to be a redemptive family for the people within this church, within Riverview, who carry deep wounds and pains from their earthly families. And maybe even a previous church. Or maybe even Riverview. We can be people who help form a redemptive family. There are things that we can do for ourselves and for one another, all to the glory of Christ and the blessing of being a part of the church. Let me wrap up our time with this, just four applications, or three technically, and then one um, little thing, big thing about Jesus. The first is find a counselor and therapist, honestly. Working through your family of origin story is difficult. There are people who are trained to help you process through so many things. And if that seems like a big step, we have our side-by-side ministry here at RIV. It can be a good first step. They're not counselors, but they're really, really good at listening. And sometimes we just need someone to listen to our story, to listen to our pain. Second is join a RIV community. Perhaps the most exciting, honestly, the part about that is being multi-generational. I really firmly believe that because there are people, and, and not just even just multi, like there are people who are older that can just open up their book of life and say, like, this was my life. This is how I dealt with my shame, my family trauma. Here, let me help you with that. That's how I started working through my stuff. And there might be some of you who join a Rift community who is 50 years old and you just became a follower of Christ. And there might be a middle schooler who received the Lord like five years ago. And there's something you can learn from them too. Join a rift community. Do life together. That's where transformation happens. Lastly, confess and repent of sin towards one another within your family and church family. Parents, perhaps one of the most healing things you can do for your kids is to say, I'm sorry. And to own up. To model that to your kids. If you have caused pain towards others, pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. But don't expect things to be instantaneous. There are things called boundaries as well. Lastly, for those of us in this room who may not know the Lord, who may not give their allegiance to Christ, if you have trauma, if you have pain, deep wounds, whether family or whatever other reason, my challenge to you is to begin with Christ. There is no better place to begin your journey of healing and wholeness other than with Christ. What does Jesus have to say about your pain? What does Jesus have to say about who you are and how does that compare to what the voices of shame and guilt say? What Jesus says, he says, I love you so much. I loved you so much that I took the very thing that caused pain in your life onto the cross so that you need not bear it anymore. And he did not just die on the cross with that, but he was buried in the grave and rose three days later saying, see, your sin, the sin that was done to you, has no effect anymore. 
but only if you would give your allegiance and graft yourself into me and this family. There is healing for us all to be found, no matter how deep the wounds, because as the Apostle John says, darkness has not, will not, cannot, and did not overcome the light. So I want to pray for us and to pray um, over us that the light of Christ would shine so brightly in the darkest of spaces in our lives, spaces that we may be too afraid to confront. Would you join me in praying? Father, we, we come before you as your people, as your children, as brothers and sisters, people with areas of life that just are too hard to confront. And I pray, Father, that we would find peace knowing that you are just, you're always ready to pour out your love and your comfort to us through your spirit, through your word, through your son, through the, the church family. Equip us, O oh Lord, as Riverview Church with practical ways to support and to love one another, with the emotional intelligence to learn when to just sit and not say anything, and to just sit in the pains of others, Lord. Help us, Father. We are needy, and it is so good to be in need because you are the one who provides salvation and solution to our wounds. We thank you, Lord, for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.